0: You don't have all the answers for the future, but you can make answers for today.
1: Hello, hello. Emily Abadi here, bringing you episode 156 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where we sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about their big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. I feel like there's a lot of new people in the hurdle loop lately. So I wanna welcome you here. I'm so happy to have you. I wanna take a second, to reintroduce myself. My name is Emily. I've lived in New York for the past 10 years. I'm about to make the hop from Manhattan to Brooklyn this coming May, and I could not be more excited for a fresh start. I am a career journalist. I went out on my own after being the fitness editor at Self Magazine about four years ago, and it has been a wild ride. Uh, I specialize in health and wellness content, hence what you're getting a lot of here over on Hurdle. And that is because uh, health and wellness and fitness has been a huge part of my story back in college, I lost a considerable amount of weight by learning how to exercise moderation and how to exercise period. In fact, during that journey is when I discovered running and that I was capable of running more than a mile at a time. And I've talked about that at length a lot on the show, but running changed my life. And so here on the show, you are really listening to a single 30 something entrepreneur who is just trying to navigate the hurdles that come hand in hand with living a happy and healthy life with the mission to inspire others to do so in whatever way that that looks like for them. Now that you know a little bit about me, a little bit about the show, I am excited today to bring you my conversation with esthetician and founder of Renee Rouleau Skincare, Renee Rouleau. Now, you may recognize her name from the episode we did back together a few weeks ago, answering your biggest skincare questions. And I was really excited to record this with her as well, because. Man, this woman has been through her fair share of hurdles personally and professionally over the last few years, especially in today's episode, Renee gets into how she got into the skincare industry and the hurdles that she conquered when she became a direct to consumer business and ultimately shifted her operations from Dallas to Austin, Texas. She also talks openly today about the loss of her late husband Florian to cancer in 2018. She talks about what life's been like since then and how she's managed to move on and how grateful she is for the journey, despite it being truly, truly difficult. Super grateful for Renee's time. And again, as I mentioned earlier, the episode that we did answering your biggest skincare questions also cannot recommend it enough, I learned so much from her. A little housekeeping to do before we get into it today. Super excited for our book club. This coming Wednesday night, we are reading The Art of Gathering. The link to register for the Zoom is in the show notes. Make sure also that you're following Hurdle on social media. You may notice that we're upping our social game. It's at Hurdle Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And speaking of Facebook, also get in on the action the secret hurdlers group. We've been having a lot of really fun conversations lately and The point of that is really just to provide the community a safe space to talk about whatever's on your mind. Come hang out, we'd love to have you. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Renee Rollo. She's an esthetician, a skincare expert, and founder of Renee Rollo Skincare. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. How are you, Emily?
1: I couldn't be more amped to have you on the show <laughs> selfishly <laughs> because I'm excited for the wisdom you're about to drop when it comes to everything I should be doing for my skin that I'm not doing it just yet. Yes. But more so, I'm just excited to get to know you. Thanks. Let's start off today. I want to tell you, I did just go on the website and take the skin type quiz. And? I have skin type six. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so y- you say that there are nine different types of skin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk to me about that to get us started.
0: Yeah. So I've been an esthetician for a little over 30 years. And when I went to school um, and got trained in aesthetics, um, I was taught two different philosophies about skin types. One was the basic skin types, which is your dry, normal, and oily. And then also what we learned about in school was something called Fitzpatrick skin types, which are five different skin types that talk about the color or the tone of your skin. So light, you know, medium, dark kind of situation. I determined early on that there were nine types of skin. And when I started Rene Rouleau skincare in 1996, almost 25 years ago, I started it with the basis of there's nine types of skin and, order to, and in order to get the best results for your skin, you need to use products that are based on your uni- unique skin type. And so people, as you did, Emily, you know, you take the skin type quiz, you will, you will be put into one of the nine skin types and you will get a curated skincare routine based on that on that type of skin.
1: So helpful. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. I mean, it's so funny because I feel like the the first question I usually ease into things with my guests is talk to me about where you grew up. But I'm also kind of curious, like, talk to me about your skin growing up. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a great question I don't get asked that too often actually so my um, how I got into the beauty business was my grandmother was a hairstylist and she owned her own hair salon called the powder puff beauty shop and so as a child you know I grew up in that environment um, when she was shampoo clients Oftentimes she would use this queen Helene mint julep mask, which I ended up when I became an esthetician, that was one of the masks we use in school, super old school, but, uh, but super fun. But so I got a little bit of experience from skincare watching her, but just being introduced to the beauty business, certainly through her. So I, I didn't know this, but I went to a class reunion once and somebody said, oh my gosh, you were the first girl to wear makeup in school. And I was like, I was. And she said, yeah, in fifth grade, she goes, you used to wear makeup and you would come. I had a slumber party once, a sleepover and you brought all the makeup and you did everyone's makeup. And I was like, really? So that was kind of Ah. funny that I was kind of a beauty junkie early on. Um, When I was in high school, that's when I really got into skincare. And most of my friends were just buying like whatever from the drugstore, you know, like Seabreeze was big, something called ten oh six and clear and all this kind of stuff. And I was actually there was a company in, in Los Angeles I was called Lange actually, now that I think about it. And I was actually mail ordering. I think I even ma- mailed like cash in the mail or something like that. But I was mail ordering skincare products from this company that I had read about. So like, I was so into it. And I just remembered, you know, a box would be delivered to my, you know, my door or whatever, and it would have skincare products in it. And so I was just kind of like, beyond what everyone was doing. But I didn't really have problems with my skin in high school. I did have a lot of back acne in high school, but I didn't break out that much around my skin uh, or, or that much on my face. But I, when I was about 25, I started to get really bad cystic acne on my chin and jawline, and um, so that was kind of more my trouble was that. And I was an incredible picker, and I used to always say when I found out there was a profession called an esthetician, I, you know, I was like, "Oh my God, there's a profession where somebody will pay me to pick at their skin. Sign me up!" And um, <laughs> I was definitely a chronic skin picker. And the problem with cystic acne when I was getting it is you know, you can't pick at those, they're not meant to come out, your body reabsorbs the infection. But I was, you know, taking matters into my own hands, not listening to my own advice that I would would preach to clients. And I was a really bad skin picker. And I would pick at them. And, and I remember saying, Oh, my hands are licensed to pick, I know what I'm doing. And I actually probably when I was like 28, I actually gave up skin picking on my own skin as a new year's resolution because it was just not good and I was scarring up my skin. Um, so yeah. And then I ended up, uh, my number one, uh, selling product in my line is called anti bump solution and it's a great solution for, um, for cysts. So it it was like my lifesaver, but yeah, so that's a little bit of the journey with my own skin.
1: Where were you, where did you grow up? So I moved every
0: two and a half to three years growing up. So I lived lots of different places, but uh, I would say I primarily grew up in the Midwest. Um, I grew up, I lived in Minnesota three different times. We were back and forth a lot from Boston. I lived in Boston twice and I lived in Wisconsin once. So yeah, yeah, back
1: and forth. And then you mentioned cystic acne, something I'm sure a lot of people listening to this show struggle with. Can you talk to me about the difference uh, between cystic acne and like regular acne?
0: Yeah, there's a huge difference. So the one commonality of acne is infection. So a true blemish is something that's sore and red, you know, painful to the touch. Now, how the life cycle and the journey of what it wants to do in the skin is very different. So in the case of cystic acne, cystic blemishes are those hard, sore, big, swollen knots that are under the skin. They develop under the skin, but they heal within the skin. Your body actually reabsorbs it. So it's not meant to come out. So if you never touch at a true cyst and you know never pick at it, you'll notice it won't ever surface to the white, to a white head. And that's what a cyst is. So you need to just sit on your hands and don't touch it. Put on anti-bump solution if you can, if you can get that. Um, and then it will go back down and eventually go away. And that's basically your body saying of, Hey, I don't want to come to the surface. Like that's, you know, that's how I want to heal myself. And that's why it's important not to pick at it because that's not how it wants to heal itself. It doesn't want to come to a whitehead. Now, in the case of a papule, a papule is also red and sore and that's, there's infection in there. And that's kind of the That's kind of when it is is kind of working its way to the surface, but hasn't quite come into a whitehead yet. That's kind of the papular stage. And then there's a pustule. So that's more when it comes to the surface, there's a big, juicy whitehead on the top. It's still, you know, there's infection in there, but that's more um, called a pustule. So um, yeah, they're all based on sore and infection and you have to treat it accordingly. What doesn't have infection is what are called clogged pores. So a blackhead is a clogged pore, what we call closed comedones or clogged pores, which are those just little bumps you might get if you wear like too much, you know, foundation, or you know, it's just those little raised bumps that kind of sit there and don't go away. You have to get those manually cleaned out of the skin, but they are not red and sore, and they don't have an infection, and they need to be they need to be treated totally different.
1: There are definitely like two types of people. There is the one type of person that is listening to this and like geeking out and super interested, and then there's like the <laughs> other type of person who like gets targeted with ads for Dr. Pimple Popper and like immediately projectile vomit. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's funny because as much as I'm a skin picker, I I really can't watch Dr. Pimple Pum- Popper. Like I just, I don't. I mean, I've, maybe it's because I've been around it so much and I've seen my own things, but yeah, I don't know. I just kind of, that show can't do it.
1: Can't do it. Can't do it. Okay. So you grew up, you said, in an environment with your grandmother going to the salon, trying all the products, and then definitely developed your own interest. Talk to me about what it was like to go through uh, school to be an esthetician.
0: Well, here's what the story is. I actually went to school first to become a hairstylist. I thought I was going to follow in the footsteps of my grandmother. And I didn't know that there... I didn't really know about what being an esthetician was. Like, I didn't really know that was a profession. um, Because it was unlike today, you know, it was very, very few and far between back then. This was the late 1980s. So I went to school to become an esthetician, got a job working at a full service hair salon where they actually they did skin, hair and nails. So they actually had an esthetician there and there was a facial room and most hair salons, you know, didn't have facials and skin treatments. It was again, there were very, you know, few estheticians around. So as I was working at the salon, apprenticing, learning how to do hair, starting with kids cuts, blah 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 and kind of working my way up, I I realized that from the moment I got a job working at the salon, I was always hanging out in the facial room with my esthetician co worker. And she said to me one day, she was like, you know, you seem to be more into skin than you do hair. And I was like, Yeah, you're right. And so I, I ended up not being a cosmetologist. And I went back to school to become an esthetician. But school was super easy, because my co worker was my mentor. And she was actually a teacher at the school uh, a few years back that I actually attended. And so she was 13 years older than me. As a matter of fact, I just got off the phone with her 20 minutes ago and, um, mm-hmm. she was my mentor. And so going to school was just like, Hey, just, you know, give me my license, get me in, get me out because I've got like the best teacher on the planet teaching me. And, you know, and, and in school it's, you know, a lot of basic stuff. You're, your continuing education. Once you graduate is really where your knowledge is. And so I went to school, um, got my aesthetics license, went back to the salon, worked as an, as an esthetician. And then about a year later, her and I got along so well, we decided to leave and start our own skincare salon, which we did. This was outside of Boston. I had it from uh, 91 to 96, Um, sold it, sold my half. It was really successful, but I really wanted a personal change in my life and move out of the East Coast. I wasn't used to, I was used to moving every two and a half to three years. And I had been in Boston for 11 years and I was getting antsy and wanted to change. And so, um, so I sold my half to her and she had it up until COVID and finally closed it down. Um, and now she's just focused on the skincare product side and, uh, but we're still super good friends and, um, she taught me so much.
1: So when you leave Boston and sell your share, what's the next destination?
0: So I moved to Dallas. Um, I really just wanted a personal change and not that anything bad was happening in Boston, but I just was antsy for being kind of in the driver's seat of my life. And I never like want to just settle and feel like, oh, okay, well now I'm locked in or whatever. I just, I love change. And so um, I looked at uh, Atlanta, Nashville, Dallas, and Austin and Dallas, definitely spoke to me. And so I moved there all by myself and didn't know anyone and started Renee Rouleau Skincare in 1996. And this August, we will celebrate 25 years.
1: Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. But
0: actually, but now fast forward, I actually live in Austin and my corporate headquarters are here. So I actually, you know, with that need for change, I lived in Dallas for 19 years, which was a long time, but got antsy and, um, Yeah. Relocated all of our corporate headquarters, warehouse, office to Austin. So we're based here.
1: So I am here in Austin, Texas. Going from moving every two to three years to staying put in Dallas for so long. I'm interested (laughs) to know a little bit about the takeaways from that. Like what kept you there aside from the fact that you had started your business?
0: Yeah. So, well, I think I just felt, I loved living in Dallas and, but I just felt like, oh, okay, you know, this is where I'm planting my roots and I'm going to stay because my company is here. And the, what, what spurred the desire to move. I, I always, I did feel antsy at times. And we, me and me and my now late husband, we would talk about it. I'm, I'm like, you think we'll be in Dallas forever? And he's like, yeah. And, and I loved it. I, you know, there was, it was kind of like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I really didn't have any complaints, even though there was part of me that was itching for something new. Well, what happened was we came down to Austin for a weekend and, uh, this was probably six years ago. And yeah, it was six years ago. And I was looking on Facebook and a friend had posted an article called staying is settling why you need to move five times in your life. So I opened it up and I said, "Ooh, what's this? And the article, it was from elite Daily.com, And it basically said that life was about change, um, getting out of your comfort zone, opening yourself to new things. And you do that with moving. And so I'm reading this and it's saying you have to move five times in your life. Well, I have not – I've only moved once, well, now twice, as an adult on my own. It really means not being dragged around as a kid, right? It means, like, your own choice, Mm -hmm. and and so I've only done two times. And so I was like, oh, okay, but again, I'm like, oh, I'm probably only going to do two times because I'm going to stay in Dallas. So I showed it to my husband, and – He looked at it and he's lived, he was French, but he's lived all over the world. And he was like, yeah, I've lived five times. But the basis of the article was just really about how change and moving is so important to, you know, to inspire change and growth and learning. And so the next morning, the next morning we wake up and he says, I've been thinking about that article. He goes, let's move. And I went, what? And my heart's racing, and <laughs> and I said, we can't. Our company's based here. And by this time, my my husband had joined my company um, about ten years earlier as the COO, and uh, so he was working my company. And I said, you know, honey, we can't. Like, you know, this is it. And he said, why not? And. I was like, well, well, and again, my heart's racing because the thought of it is so exciting. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so, um, six months later we uprooted everything and moved to Austin. And, uh, I mean, and we thought of, we thought, you know, we talked about it and we said, okay, we decide we want to move. We decide change is good. We've been in our comfort zone for too long. We need to spice things up. And so we thought of all the places in the U S we could move. So, but we ended up settling on austin because that was gonna that was just made sense for us so (laughs) yeah so literally um my friend on facebook troy um i thanked him you know i said hey i need to let you know something we're moving to austin because of you and he was like what i was like remember that article you posted he's like yeah i was like that's why we're moving had we never had we not seen it we wouldn't be moving
1: It's so funny because hearing you tell that story, there are some times where I hear the words that are coming out of my mouth and like within seconds, I'm like, you're just making an excuse. Like, did you start to feel (laughs) that way when you were like, well, we can't go anywhere. This is how it is. And then you have like the second when you're like, well, actually.
0: Yeah. Why? Yeah. I I mean, I, we had a challenge, you know, I had to challenge myself and go, okay, like if we really made this happen, what would it mean? And yeah, you had to get yeah, that's just kind of exploring saying yes. You know, a big part of me is my life philosophy. Um, certainly after seeing the movie, yes, man, with Jim, Jim Carrey way back when is saying yes. And like when life feels scary and you want to say no, just say yes. And you know, it's, I mean, that's, you know, I, one of my favorite quotes is, um, And someone said to this to me once, probably some of the best things that will ever happen to you in your life will happen because you say yes to something. Otherwise, things will just
1: sort of stay the same. Definitely scary change moving. I have to ask you, when it comes to starting this business from the ground up, a ton of scary things can go hand in hand with that. Reflect for me a little bit about the challenges of starting your own skincare line, because I'm sure there were many.
0: Yeah. So I started my company in Dallas, as I said, uh, but I started in 1996. I actually started with having a skincare spa where we did services. So that's how I started. And then I started developing the skincare line, you know, after that, and then ended up opening up a second location in Dallas Started e commerce in 1999 because now my skincare line was pretty, you know, we had enough products and things like that. And now, fast forward almost 25 years, we no longer have the services side of the business. And we are uh, strictly 100% e commerce, direct to consumer from our website. So when I look back at, you know, here I was in a comfort zone living outside of Boston, had a very successful business, doing great, loving what I was doing, and decided. Huh? I want to change. So basically, selling the half of the business, going to a new city where I don't know anyone—literally, did not know one person—and starting all new. Super, super scary. But I chalk it up to being 26 years old. <laughs> and uh, but basically, because you're fearless when you're younger, you know. And the natural progression of life is you—you you learn enough to learn that hey, I have a good reason to have fear. And so the problem that. you know, I see all the time, certainly with friends and whatever is people say no to things. And because of fear, Oh, geez, I don't want to do that or whatever. And so I look back at, and so I'm always challenging myself to say yes and, you know, and, and be fearless. Um, but I do look at, you know, when I opened the business and I think I was just young and optimistic and I had my eye on the prize and there was no one that could tell me anything other than I was going to make it. And so I think that determination, that being slightly naive and just kind of the passion is what, what made it work.
1: taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, Daily Harvest. Now, let me tell you, sometimes I just do not have the time or energy to cook. Period. (laughs) Especially something healthy, in between meetings and recordings and writing and editing and of course, like physically running around. (laughs) It It can be easy for me to put my nutrition on the back burner, which isn't ideal because I do not feel great when I am ordering takeout all the time. That is why Daily Harvest is such a total lifesaver. Daily Harvest delivers delicious food, all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. And my favorite part about Daily Harvest is that it's ready when I am, right? Like meaning that everything stays fresh in my freezer until I am at the place where I am ready to enjoy it. So bonus, I also waste less food. Also worth highlighting, Daily Harvest never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything. Get started today yourself with Daily Harvest. Head on over to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code hurdle25 to get $25 off your first box. Again, that's promo code hurdle25 for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Dailyharvest.com. Also want to give some love to my sponsor at Element. Element makes a science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. They have so many great flavors, from their new watermelon salt, which I cannot get enough of, to other favorites of mine, including orange salt, raspberry salt, and for the chocolate lovers out there, chocolate salt. What I love about Element aside from the great taste is that the formula is super high caliber. We are talking plant-based with no sugar, fillers, gluten or any sketchy ingredients. When I bring Element with me on my long bike rides, I feel a little bit more prepared to tackle the climbs knowing that I am giving my body exactly what it needs to perform at its best. Of course, they have a awesome offer for the hurdle listeners. Get a free element sample pack, which includes eight packets of element for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. Head on over to drinkelement.com. That's D R I N K L M N T.com slash hurdle to get yours today. Again, that is drinkelement.com, D R I N K L M N T.com slash hurdle to get your free sample pack today do you remember one of your first quote-unquote failures that taught you an insane amount
0: i think let's see so what happens is when you own your own business you have to wear every hat right when you're starting out You can't afford to hire people and that sort of thing. And I remember hearing once, you know, that, that, you know, people said, you need to strengthen your weaknesses. And so, because I was wearing a lot of hats, I was not only a hands on esthetician, I was a product formulator, but I was also you know, the the bookkeeper. And I was also, you know, kind of, you know, operations and and things like that. Well, my biggest weakness was finance. You know, I'm not a numbers mm. person, never have been. But someone said, you know, you, you got to focus on your weakness. So I tried as painful as it was to be good at finance. You know, I tried to make sense when I looked at my P&L statements and my balance sheet, but it's just my eyes just you know, go backward in my head. It's just so confusing to me still is. And I, someone years later said, Renee, don't try, don't spend time trying to strengthen your weaknesses, you know, like focus on what you do best, delegate out your weaknesses. And so I finally hired a bookkeeper that could do all of that. And somebody that could, you know, make sense of my finances and, you know, help me understand in a way that I never could. And but, but probably the biggest lesson I learned was prior to that, when I decided to no longer be a service provider. So anyone in the service business knows that, you know, if you have a business and you're being a service provider, it's very hard to juggle both. And, but I really wanted to focus on e-commerce. I wanted to fo- focus more on product development. So I told my clients at this time, I was only taking clients three days a week. So it wasn't a huge deal. As opposed to when I first started, I was taking clients six days a week. So I told my clients six months in advance that I was no longer going to be, you know, doing services, I was going to focus on the products and e commerce and all of that. And I was going to, you know, pass them over to one of my estheticians who worked for me, and but I wanted to give them six months notice. So I assumed that once I quote unquote, retired out of the room, I later ended up going back into the treatment room years later, once I opened up a second location. Uh, But and I actually I'm still hands on service provider, uh, pre COVID out in LA and do house calls for some celebrity clients. So I still, I do work hands on um, a little bit. But so I, I, I retired from the room. And what I didn't realize was how much my, my service, my, the revenue I got from my services was kind of keeping the whole business afloat, um, you know, helping payroll and whatnot. But all of a sudden now I had to pay my estheticians instead of that money coming to the business, AKA me. And all of a sudden, you know, two months into it or whatever, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, why can't I make payroll? And basically, had I been a numbers person and and been able to make sense of all of that, I wouldn't have, I would have probably realized, Hey, you know, let's do this a little slower instead of doing three days a week. Why don't you cut down to two days? See how that goes one day by kind of pulling the plug cold turkey and, you know, doing six, seven clients a day, three days a week. That was a lot of, a lot of income that the company was getting that was no longer coming. And all of a sudden, you know, I couldn't make payroll. So I think, you know, the biggest lesson I learned was just If I'm not going to be good at finances, I need to hire and delegate someone that can monitor that for me so I can see problems coming before they arise.
1: Yeah, and I can totally relate on that. You want to do everything yourself because asking or having someone else do something means that you need to find the means to pay them. But sometimes those decisions not to can cost you as you learned more than it would cost to bring someone on to give you a hand. The best thing I've done for myself so far as an entrepreneur and God, there's so much more to do, but is, is, you know, pay for the trademark attorney, pay for the accountant, like get those people that are better than you to help you be better when, you know, it's within your means anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, we have a thing, um, so there's something that I do in my company and my team always is challenging me about this, but we do this thing called is Renee working on her fives. So what you do is you write down everything that you currently do for your, for your job, for your business, whatever, and you write down everything that you're responsible for and you rank them one to five. One is I hate it. Good riddance. If I never had to do it again, I'd be so happy. And then you go up the ladder, you know, two, three, you know, fours, like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's okay. I like it. I can do it. It's not, you know, not my favorite, but yeah, I, mm-hmm. I don't mind doing it. And five of course is, is I could do this all day. I love it. This is what makes me truly happy. And so my team is always challenging me to only do fives because that's where the company needs me. The company needs Renee to be doing the things that she is so good at and she loves because that's the biggest strength. And so whenever we're in meetings, naturally, because I'm somebody that, you know, you know, bootstrapped the business, wore every hat for so long. It doesn't come easy to delegate when we're in meetings sometimes, you know, and then we are coming up with some new idea or whatever, and there's some task associated with it. I'll go, oh, I'll do it. And they'll go, is that a five for you, Renee? And I'm like, No, they're like, No, we don't want you doing it. And I love how they protect me that way. You know, because again, they want me to shine where I want to shine. And so you know, there's a few things on my list that are threes and fours that I still have to do only because we haven't delegated or whatever. But for the most part, most of the things that I do are fives. And it's great.
1: I think a lot of people strive to be in a position with their work where they are doing more fives. When I talk to clients one-on-one and a lot of these individuals may be in the middle of some sort of a job transition and they're trying to figure out like what their next move should be, I often encourage them to separate things kind of like what you're talking about into three columns, like the list of things that you hate about what you're doing right now, the list of things in the middle that you do right now that are like fine. And then the list of things that you totally love that are the quote unquote fives, as you refer to them. Sure. When you look at what's in column two and column three, you can start Mm -hmm. to, you know, be the creator of your next role. Ideally, like what is it that you want to be doing more of that can help you feel more fulfilled so that you can go on and, you know, feel like you're really contributing something to your day to day and to, you know, wherever company you might be a part of.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great exercise for people to do it. No, I love that.
1: For someone who, you know, wants to be doing more fives and is kind of stuck in doing mm-hmm. maybe the threes, maybe even the twos, what do you say to them?
0: Well, I think people need to look at their life and really decide if they're happy doing that. People ask me a lot. They go, oh, Renee, how do you have you know, work life balance, like, and I'm like, I I have none, because, you know, I'm just always doing what makes me happiest. And oftentimes, work is what makes me happiest. And Mm. so it's not if I'm doing all fives in my job, and I'm like, I love this, I love my life, this makes me so happy. Why would I do anything less than a five, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's work or whatever, you know, like, Do fives in every area of your life, right? Like always try to do things that just fuel you bring you such joy. And so yeah, people need to look both professionally and personally, and deciding, you know, are they are they living fives in their life? And if they're not, they need to figure out, hey, maybe I need to change up something.
1: Talk to me about what it was like after you moved to Austin.
0: It was amazing because everything was new, you know, your eyes are wide open again. And I remember I was in LA once and I was in an Uber going to one of my clients' houses and we we're on some highway, I can't remember where. We were going to Tarzana actually. And um and I and I and there was these beautiful mountains or something and I had never been out there and so I said to the Uber driver, I said, oh, wow, you know, God, look how beautiful that is. And he he looks and he went, "Huh, yeah. And he just it was like, no big deal. And what and what I realized was, you know, this guy drives this highway every day. He doesn't even see the beauty in it anymore. Right. He's just like, oh, whatever. And that's what happens when you live somewhere all the time, you don't see the beauty, the, you know, the fascination in it anymore. So moving to Austin, your eyes are all of a sudden wide open and everything is so cool. And, you know, cause it's all new. And so I just, that's always the beauty of it is just when you move somewhere new, it's just, it's amazing. You take it all in. And I always, now, you know, I've been here five and a half years, but I just try not to ever take anything for granted and always see the beauty and appreciation in every moment and everything
1: were there challenges that you didn't expect that came hand in hand with you moving to Austin and moving the business to Austin as well?
0: For sure. Well, mainly we had to hire all new people. So we still had a few office, you know, kind of marketing customer care support that stayed back in Dallas and worked remotely. And so that worked out. Uh, We kept that. Uh, We had two people follow us And relocate to Austin because they wanted to stay with our company. Um, But, but we basically had to hire all new people. And so when you're starting from kind of scratch and hiring all new people, you know, that creates challenges because, you know, you're trying to get the, you know, right fit and that sort of thing. So there was some turnover in the beginning until we kind of got our right crew again. And now, you know, fast forward, we um, all of our Um, company is here and all all of our team is in Austin. So we don't have anyone in Dallas anymore. And we have uh, a team of 19. And we just moved in uh, a couple months ago into all new office and warehouse. And so we have 11,000 square feet of um, of amazing office and warehouse space for our team of 19. Now, obviously, people are working from home because of the pandemic and whatnot. But anyway, but yeah, so that was the main challenge was just, you know, hiring and finding great talent
1: You mentioned the pandemic. I know earlier in the show, you also mentioned your late husband. You've had a couple of challenging (laughs) years here.
0: Yeah. So my... My husband passed away a little over two years ago. He was the, you know, COO of my company, which is basically my right hand, and he was also my partner in life. We were together 22 years before he passed away, so that's a long time. He was perfectly healthy, and one day got a sharp pain in his stomach, and um, after about uh, 36 hours, it became so unbearable that he went to the emergency room. And a week later, they determined he had stage four cancer and gave him six months to live. And he died two days shy of six months. So, it was, you know, you just, you know, when a lot, you know, when people pass away, oftentimes it's suddenly, you know, car accident, heart attack, or if somebody has cancer, you know, there's a long journey, and you know, usually people can kind of fight it for a few years or or so. And so this was. Um, unique, and that you know, it was a death sentence, and there wasn't a cure, and it was really fast. So that was certainly a big challenge, because again, he was a leader in our company, and you know, I relied on him so much. And he was, you know, he, you know, I played to my strengths. He played, you know, to his strengths, but his strengths were my weaknesses, and so I relied a lot on him. And so having to navigate being a caretaker and trying to make the best of the last six months he had um, while still trying to run a company, while still trying to allow him to get some things, you know, checked off his bucket list. But yet we still had to have the company run. So, you know, there were a lot of challenges there. And Just like I learned in anything in life, you know, you don't have all the answers for the future, but you can make answers for today and just putting one foot in front of the other and navigating it the best you can. And, you know, that's
1: what we did. What a hurdle. Firstly, thank you for sharing that. I think when you touched on this idea of needing to show up despite feeling so many ways and dealing, you know, with the personal challenges that come with this, how did you show up? Because I think that's a question that so many people struggle with, and an idea that so many people struggle with. It's this idea that I just can't get out of bed today. I can't do this. Like, where was your head at during those dark times?
0: Yeah. So, I think, you know, talking about comfort zone, I was in a comfort zone. I was with somebody for 22 years who adored me, loved me. I loved him. Um, I was in a comfort zone with him being the COO of the company. So I had delegated a lot to him. So there were a lot of areas of the business that I really didn't know anything about anymore, because it wasn't my job. And so being out of my comfort zone, certainly, you know, when he did pass away, now I had to, you know, stand up in front of my company and feeling super vulnerable, because there were, you know, areas of the business that I had to either learn or hire someone new for or whatever. And I had to put those hats back on. Um, But also relaying strength, you know, every, you know, when when a leader passes away, everybody's worried, you know, and, and so just really portraying strength, even though it didn't feel I didn't feel strong. And then personally, when I look back on it, you know, certainly when he was sick, You know, it's, it's, (laughs) I quickly realized it's not like in the movies where it's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, you have six months to live and it's going to be all wonderful and joyous. And we're going to spend all this time, you know, you know, talking about life and, you know, reminiscing about all that was great. And, you know, and, and we did do some of that, but unfortunately, The type of cancer he had, it created tumors on his liver, which sent ammonia to his brain, which caused anger and psychosis. And so Mm -hmm. it was not all a bed of roses. And so it was very, very challenging. And, uh, you know, he was not the greatest patient. He was ex-military, super strong, super stubborn. Um, And he wanted to go out his way and that needed to be honored. But as a caretaker and his wife that, you know, there were some times that I most definitely said getting in a car accident, I would have taken that, you know, way over what I'm having to, to work with now. Now, in hindsight, I wouldn't change a thing because um, the beauty of someone having advanced notice of their death is they get to share all their wishes for you. And so when he passed away for me personally, and then certainly, you know, of course carried over to uh, professionally, but the best way I could honor his life was by moving forward. And mm-hmm. so I, anytime I would, you know, play victim and woe is me or whatever, I would just erase that um, immediately. And I'm like, you know, life is short. I learned that real quick. And, and the best way I can move forward is to keep moving forward with my life, live my best life, you know, date again, that's what he wanted for me, you know, be strong, travel, like just keep on living. And so that, and that's, you know, anytime I cried, you know, I let, I let myself cry. It wasn't that I was trying to just be tough, but, but it, You know, when I cried, trust me, I would cry, but at the same time, I would get back up and just keep moving forward. And, you know, I got a lot of strength from knowing that he wanted me to be strong. And that's the best way to respect and honor him.
1: I'm sure so many lessons from that experience carrying over. Into the past year, into positively moving your business through the COVID pandemic. I saw that you put up a post back in January talking about all the accomplishments for Renee Roloff Skincare over the last year. I mean, everything from being recognized as one of the best places to work by the Austin Business Journal, no layoffs or pay cuts despite the pandemic, nine of your skincare products winning awards. I mean, this is all you consciously looking for the silver linings
0: always. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting. Yeah. When we got recognition as the best place to work, that was actually one of my, um, my late husband's dying wishes. Um, he said, you know, we always kind of talked about that would be cool to get that. And he said, Renee, I want you to make that happen. And we made that happen last year. And so that was a huge way to honor him because that was the goal he set out for me.
1: What are you excited about right now?
0: What am I excited about? Um, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. Um, <laughs> w- one, being on Emily's podcast. So, this is super exciting. Um, yeah, last year I started, you know, seeking out, or people started reaching out wanting to have me be on podcasts, and it's been super fun. And so, I I'm really excited for this opportunity. Thank you. I'm also super excited about Clubhouse. Um, Are you familiar with that?
1: I am. You know, I'm just getting into Clubhouse and I have a personal (laughs) strategy. This is so funny that you're saying with this to me. I have a personal strategy session on my calendar for tomorrow thinking about ways that I can engage with Clubhouse. Yeah. Talk to the hurdlers about what Clubhouse is and why it excites you. So
0: this is this is where my head is with it. So I am an expert. And when you're an expert, you have things to share. You know, I mean, people are using it for learning opportunities, but I happen to have the advantage that I'm an expert. So, one of the things that I would, you know, do often is do like an Instagram live, right? Where you can interact with people and you can answer rapid fire questions. But the problem with that, and I say the problem, is, you know, I got to make sure my hair looks nice, makeup, and, you know, I just, you know, I'm (laughs) in the appearance industry and, so sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't feel like it. I just worked out and blah, 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 whatever. And so the great thing about Clubhouse is I can go on there and be an expert and answer skincare questions, but I can do it and look like crap. And it's so great. And I can do it at, at any time it's convenient for me. And but but the benefit of Clubhouse, which, which is even cooler, is... If I do an Instagram live or something, it's just me. But if you're in a room, um, I'll get invited up to what's called the stage. And so there's other experts on the stage. And that's been super fun to have conversations with other experts and answering questions from the audience. So so I actually hosted a room the other day and it was me, so an esthetician, a dermatologist, um, a cosmetic surgeon, and a pharmacist. So the four of us were the experts answering questions and it was so amazing. So I'm really loving the networking opportunity. And now, um, through clubhouse, I have a really popular skincare blog that I started back in 2005 and we have over a thousand posts and it's like true skincare education for the skincare enthusiast. And from time to time, I'll loop in other experts on certain posts where they have a different area of expertise than I do. And so it's so great. So now like, these new people that I'm I'm meeting, like a celebrity, you know, cosmetic surgeon or whatever. He's gonna, uh, I'm gonna collaborate with him on a post for my blog, and so it's great to, you know, network with other experts. But yeah, Clubhouse is great, but then it's also for learning, and you know, there's, there's, you know, learn about TikTok, learn about social media, learn about entrepreneurship, and so a lot of times I just sit back in the audience and I'm asking questions and I'm learning. But then there's other times I'm being the expert and I'm sharing. So it's to me, it's just such a great win-win.
1: You're making me excited to get more into Clubhouse. Stay it's tuned. Great. It's, it's coming. Great. What's the What's the skincare blog called?
0: It doesn't have a name. It's just on my website. If you click on blog,
1: um, I do have a question. I mean, you mentioned being in a room with dermatologists. Did you ever think about becoming a dermatologist?
0: No, no, I I, I barely made it through high school. I was like the worst student, and uh, <laughs> so the thought of going to for any more college or you know that was not even an option i love learning but my learning has to be fives, right? And I know that going to college and or being a dermatologist, I'd have to learn a lot of things that just would make my brain explode. And I just been to it.
1: (laughs) When someone comes to your social media page, they see what I would say is a badass woman with pink hair, who is a business (laughs) owner, uh, and, and a smart skincare CEO. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you?
0: I see strength and happiness. You know, I really kind of in this new chapter of my life after, you know, my husband passed away. You know, again, having, I was totally out of my comfort zone, both professionally and personally. And really, I'm kind of like the comeback kid and being able to pull myself up, you know, and move forward, but with a renewed focus. That's the whole thing. I mean, for six months, you know, I watched, um, the demise of someone's body and their mind, but everything they do to prep for that, right? If someone tells you, you have six months to live, what are you gonna do? You know? What if, how are you gonna make the best of those last six months? And my husband, the way he handled his last six months was so unbelievable. And the lessons and actually if you go back to my if you go on Instagram and kind of scroll back, I shared a lot of the lessons and a lot of the stories. Um, I also use the hashtag This is Florian, F-L-O-R-I-A-N. This is Florian. So if someone goes to the hashtag, they can read a lot about that. But the lessons and wisdom I gained from really understanding the meaning of life um, is just priceless, priceless. And so I look in the mirror and I just, you know, I have so much clarity about how I want to live the rest of my life, what my life's purpose is, and I'm living it.
1: You have an opportunity right now to offer yourself one piece of advice looking back at the last two, three really difficult years. What do you tell yourself?
0: I tell myself that the clocks ticking, start living. And that means, you know, being really strategic with how to spend time. You know, I, I think that's certainly what I learned is time is not guaranteed, you know, we could die today. And time is all you have. And where are you going to put your time and energies. And so I'm super, super strategic about who I let in my life, who I give time and energy to, I, you know, if there are people that it's not bringing me value, I won't give them my time or people with bad energy or drama or whatever, but just really valuing my time and setting a lot of boundaries about that. And so I make a lot of good choices about how I spend my time because time is a limited resource.
1: Thank you so much for for opening up today, for your honesty and for sharing with all of the hurdlers. It's so appreciated. Thanks. I really loved it. Thanks, Emily. Appreciate the opportunity. How does everybody keep up with you? Give me the details.
0: Uh, yeah, Renee Rouleau. And then my company page is Renee uh, Rouleau Renee Skincare. So if you're more interested in learning about me as a person, I, I do talk a little bit about skincare, but not a ton. Um, but if you're a true skincare enthusiast and you want to hear all of our offerings, um, skincare education as well, as well as products, then the Renee Rouleau Skincare Company page.
1: Beautiful. I am over at Emily Body and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered.